0: stay with me so <clears throat> Matthew uh, our the great commission that's been given to us we've been in this series about discipleship this 90-day discipleship challenge and how many people can say that it man it's been a it's been a journey it's been a journey doesn't it seem like every time when you're trying to grow in God that's when everything want to start coming at you every time you make the decision says you know what I'm gonna buckle down I'm gonna grow in God that's when stuff just I don't know where I'm talking about Old stuff from the past, try to peek its ugly head and just old habits, just try to kind of find its way back to you. But I got a word for you on today. Um, Matthew 28, verse 16 through 20, Matthew 28, verse 16 through 20. Most of you are familiar with this uh, scripture. This is where Jesus gives us the great uh, commission, the great commission, uh, the great commission. So if you could turn your Bibles to Matthew 28, verse 16 through 20. Matthew 28, verse 16 through 20. When you get there, say, I got it. If you need time, say, hold on. All right, hold on. Matthew 28, verse 16 through 20. And for all those who know me, I'm, I'm going to get you out of here, okay? I'm going to get you out of here. I don't know. you going to be here long, Okay? You're going to take the word, let it marinate, and we let Jesus handle it with you, okay? So it's my job is to give you the word, and it's on you, okay? I ain't got to be here for three hours. give you the word, and you take it with you, okay? So Matthew 28, verse 16 through 20, it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Everybody say go Go. and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey. Everybody say "Obey." obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus has given us a blueprint on what we need to do as being disciples of him. Now, if we be honest, we haven't necessarily been the best examples of what a discipleship, a disciple looks like. If we go a little further, we would say that sometimes we don't want to be a disciple. Can we be honest for a second? There are times where you say, you know what, I ain't really trying to be a disciple. Can I have some honest people in this house that say sometimes you, you don't want to do it? It's the reality of it. Because the sacrifice seems too much. Not cussing them out is really too difficult. And we don't even want to talk about turning the other cheek. Because the reality is some of us got a little bit too much Moncrief in us. Some of us got a little bit too much out east. Somebody got a little bit too much west side. And for my out-of-staters, we got a little bit too much Detroit, Philly, New York. Or wherever your hood is, we got some of that in us. And the reality is, there's an internal battle that's going on daily between ourselves and the Holy Spirit. I want to give you a scripture uh, Galatians 5 and 17. Galatians 5 and 17. Galatians 5 and 17. This is definitely a very familiar scripture um, that we've heard or read. Uh, this is definitely a familiar scripture. Galatians 5 and 17 when you got it say I got it if you don't say hold on Galatians 5 and 17 says this it says for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh they are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want I'm going to read that one more time for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit. What is contrary to the flesh? They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. How many people know that there's a battle going on on the inside of us every single day? Because the reality is this flesh that we got wants to do some crazy things. This flesh that we got want to do some pretty messed up stuff. And if we really go further, if we look at our rap sheet, we have done some pretty crazy things. But I'm so glad that I serve a God that loves me in spite of. If you know you serve a God that loves you in spite of, I need you to give him just five seconds of praise right in this moment. So when it comes to that, so what makes being a disciple of Jesus Christ so hard? What makes being a disciple of Jesus Christ so hard? What makes being a disciple of Jesus Christ so hard? So what I did was did a little bit of research and kind of wanted to give you a few things that makes being a disciple of Jesus Christ so hard. The first thing is society. Everybody say society. Now, I want to take a poll, right? I just I just need your participation. I want to take a poll. How many people would say that you're uh, religious? Raise your hand if you would consider yourself religious. Raise your hand. And how many people would consider themselves spiritual? Raise your hand. Those are the only two choices. Uh, those are the only two choices. Religious or spiritual. Right? So, so if you consider yourself religious, raise your hand. Raise it high. Don't be sh- don't be shame. And if you consider yourself spiritual, raise your hand. Woo. Okay. All right. So, there's a, a research center called Pew. Crazy. It's called Pew Research Center. Research Center. But it says that. Um, People use the term spiritual but not religious, which is believed to shape their moral compass as indecisive or devoid of substance. Others embrace it as an accurate way to describe themselves, which is beyond dispute, however, is that the label applies to a growing share of Americans. So in 2012 to 2017, women grew 9% from saying they're religious to spiritual. In 2012 to 2017, men grew 8%. And if we talk about race, blacks grew 7% during that time, whites grew 8%, and Hispanics grew 7%. So what I want to do is I want to teach you. Um, I'm going to teach you because sometimes, and I'm, I'm one of those people like, yeah, I'm, sp- I'm spiritual. I know until God had to check me, and I had to actually do research and realize what I was saying. So I'm going to give you the definition of what the word religion means, okay? Religion is the belief in and the worship of a superhuman controlling power. Catch it. Religion is the belief in and worship of a superhuman controlling power, especially a personal God or God's, little g, right? Who is the person that we worship? I'm going to say, who is that we worship? Jesus. So if this is our superhuman controlling power, we know that Jesus has all power. This is the person that we we worship. So we would say a majority of us are religious. Now, what I want to do is I want to also give you scriptures. Now, I'm going to give you those scriptures, and we're kind of going to go through them a little bit. So I need you to turn to Ephesians 4 and 6. Ephesians 4 and 6. Ephesians 4 and 6. There's three scriptures that we're going to go to. Ephesians 4 and 6. Ephesians 4 and 6 says, One God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all next scripture we're going to go through is uh, go to now turn your Bibles to 1st Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 17 Timothy it's in the back chapter 1 verse number 17 just thought I'd help you a little bit there since we're going to be flipping through the pages if you got it say I got it if you don't say, hold on. I still hear some pages flipping. It says, Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. One more scripture I got for you, which is First Timothy chapter two and verse number five. First Timothy. Chapter 2 and verse number 5. It says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. So when it comes to actually the word religion, it's a belief in and worship of a superhuman controlling power. And as these scriptures put it out there, that there is one God, there is one father, there is one mediator between men, God and men, which is Jesus Christ. So the reality is when it comes to us saying we are not religious, it's incorrect because then that means that you're not worshiping a superhuman God controlling power, which is Jesus. So it's almost as if you're saying that, no, I'm not uh, a believer or disciple of Jesus Christ. But what I want to do is I want to kind of do it. Put it this way. Spiritual is basically without a connection to Jesus Christ. When you're saying you're spiritual. Society wants you to disconnect yourself from God's saving power, his redeeming, redeeming power and loving power of Jesus, because what it is is now you're putting a blanketed statement over something saying that I'm spiritual, which we've learned that spiritual can mean you're spiritual for anything, meaning that you can worship trees, you can worship animals, you can worship Astrology, You can worship whatever the thing is. The word spiritual is literally disconnecting you from the loving, the saving, and the redeeming power of Jesus Christ. So we have to be very careful. And like I said, it wasn't until God literally convicted me because I said it like water. Like water. What you mean to say is that you're not ritualistic. That is the correct term. You're not ritualistic, which means that. You may not believe in a bunch of the rules and rituals and the patterns that certain religions follow. So you're not ritualistic. But when it comes to religion versus spiritual, you just have to be careful. But when it comes to relating to the characteristics of that, how about we say this? Can we just say that? Let's be relational. We have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what it is. We have a relationship with the savior. We have a relationship with him because we know that he is the lover of our soul. We know he is the redeemer. We know that he is the healer. He is everything that we need him to be. So we have that relationship with Jesus Christ. So when it comes to spiritual, it's relating to or affecting the human spirit or soul opposed to material or physical things. So the word spiritual means you're relating to or affecting the human spirit or soul as opposed to material or, spirit or physical things. Because I have to kind of break this down for you so that way you can understand. So when you say you're spiritual, you're relating to the human spirit or soul. It has nothing to do with Jesus. It has nothing to do with Jesus. Nothing whatsoever. Relating to or affecting the human spirit or soul as opposed to. Material or physical things. So what is the human soul? Y'all can shout this out. What is the human soul? We've learned this for those who may remember. Do you remember what the human soul is? It's your mind, emotions, and will, because y'all, y'all done got tight on me. It's okay. It's okay. Breathe in, breathe out. You got tight. Your soul is your mind, your emotions, and your will. But I'm going to give you, now I'm going to give you these scriptures, and I want you to write it down. So that way you can understand. So for your mind, I need you to write down Proverbs three. Verses five and six. Proverbs three verses five and six, I need you to write that down. And I'm just let me you know what, I'm just going to read this one because I need I need us to kind of see see this. Um, It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. Some of us have a tendency to only want to lean on what we know because of our education, because of our background and things like that. But the Bible says that lean not to your own understanding for you need to acknowledge him so that way he can direct your path. So your mind, your emotions and your will for your emotions. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Why? Because your emotions change from moment to moment. One moment, you're happy. One moment, you're sad. One moment, you just want to throw something at somebody. Next moment, you want to give 17 people hugs. Your emotions change from moment to moment, which is why lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. Now, when it comes to your will, the human will, now, some of us, we are some strong-willed individuals. Can we be honest and say we are strong willed because when we make our uh, minds up to do something. We about to do it. We don't care. We going to do it. But when it comes to your will, write the scripture down. Mark eight and thirty four. Mark eight and thirty four. We're going to get free on today. We're going to get free on today. Mark eight and thirty four. Mark eight and thirty four. Then he called the crowd to him along with the disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. They must deny themselves. Remember, your soul is your mind, your emotions and your will. Spiritual is relating to. Or affecting the human spirit, soul, as opposed to material or physical things. So, after presenting to you this information, without uh, about being religious versus spiritual, uh, would many of you say that you have a better understanding of what those terms mean? Because I'm here to give you the truth, and it's your choice to follow it or believe it. So, tell your neighbor. Say, neighbor, choose ye this day who you will serve. (laughs) So now the reason why I presented this information is not for you to start an argument or to get into a debate about religious versus spiritual. It's just for you to have an understanding. But at the end of the day, I'm choosing to be relational. I'm choosing to be relational. I'm choosing to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So that way he pours into me. I have an understanding of what I need to do in my life and how I need to walk this thing out. Amen. So the first thing that makes it difficult for us to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is society. Society is, is, is hard. I mean, social media alone, I feel, has literally ruined society because it's painted a picture of stuff that's just not true. It's it's placed us to where now we go after fantasies than reality. Fantasies is now more appeasing than reality. but. Another thing, another thing that is difficult to that causes us uh, not want to be disciples or makes being a disciple of Jesus Christ difficult is to our associations. Our associations. Our associations. So uh, this one I'm going to have to unpack on this one because this one was really difficult for me to kind of really take this and really eat it. And I had to wrestle with the scripture because. You know, we're used to this nice Jesus, this Jesus that's so meek and mild. But Jesus I've been reading about is a thug, man. Jesus, he ain't play. I mean, calling people broods of vipers, telling people, how long will you walk with me? You know, with the sarcastic like this Jesus that I'm reading is 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 something else. But first Corinthians 15 and 33, first Corinthians 15 and 33. First Corinthians 15 and 33. First Corinthians 15 and 33. It says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Say that again. Do not be misled, meaning don't be stupid. Bad company corrupts good character. Because a lot of times we can say to ourselves, I'm strong enough. I can handle this. I can be around them and not get affected by what they do. Read it again. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Okay, so what associations do we have? What 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 are some associations that we have that may find that it may be difficult to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? The first association is Lord help me on this one, please. Family 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 that is a, an association that we may have that causes us that makes it difficult for us to be disciples of Jesus Christ and I need you to turn to the scripture for me. Um, I need you to turn it's Luke 14 verse 25 and 26. y'all still with me please stay with me <laughs> Luke 14: 25 and 26. Luke 14, 25 and 26. Don't worry, I told you, I ain't gonna be here long, okay? I ain't gonna be here too long. Luke 14, 25 and 26. If you got it, say, I got it. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate f- his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, Yes, even their own life. Such a person cannot be my disciple. OK, I'm, I'm gonna read that again, because um, when I heard when I read this, I looked at it like maybe 15 times. Uh, it says large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them. He said, listen, them people ain't even ask no question. The Bible said he just turned around and said it to them. You know how someone can be just random. You just walk and they just say something you're like, where did that come from? He said, "If anyone comes to me and does not hate father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple." Jesus's hyperbolic language in our passage under discussion—to hate one's family—is simply to stress the seriousness of taking the journey with him to Jerusalem. In the first century, family Jewish families were central, so the implications of the challenge of Jesus's words are real. Jesus seeks singular singularly devoted persons. What does that mean? That means a person who's not going to allow anything to come in between their relationship with him and themselves and him. Meaning that you're not going to allow anything to come in between because the reality is sometimes if we be honest, we've allowed our family to come in between our relationship with Jesus. It's true. We've allowed certain You know, places we've gone, certain conversations to really compromise when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. And Jesus is saying, whatever you do, do not allow anything to come in between me and you. Regardless if they're blood or not, do not allow anything. Because at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, you got to stand by yourself. By yourself. Listen, by yourself. Could you imagine just standing before I mean you look to your left you look to your right you ain't gonna, ain't gonna be nobody there but you. So Jesus is saying I need someone who is singularly devoted but also someone who is undistracted by the cares of life. Undistracted by the cares of life. Because sometimes we will find things that will supersede eclipse and hinder our relationship with Jesus. Can we be honest? Our careers You know, certain family drama. Because for me, you know, and I'm sure some of y'all can probably attest to, the people that can get you there quickest is them family members. A total stranger can say something to you and it's whatever, but let that family member say something to you. Oh, it's, it's on. It's on. And that's why Jesus has to give us a seriousness about that when it comes to our family, because he doesn't want. That to eclipse. Now, the reality is, some of us grew up in some pretty messed up households and we've embraced the lifestyles and the way of living as our own. Now, for some of you, it may be opposite. You know, it may be completely opposite, which is why we've taken such a rebellious approach towards God. So, there's two approaches those who didn't grow up in a household that had the standard of Christianity. You know, like some of us, we may have family members that just love turning up. You know, can we be honest? Family members who love turning up. So what happens is now because we've gotten into a pattern of always being with them with everything, now when we try to talk to them about Jesus, guess what they doing? They like, I ain't trying to hear that. I ain't trying to hear what you saying. You, they say it like this: You just like me. They'll make that statement: You just like me. So who are you trying to come tell me about Jesus? You just like me. But the Bible says that we are to win the loss. We are to win. the the laws. Now, I ain't saying, listen, <laughs> not telling you go s- slap, hey, stop everybody and just start slapping family members and tell them you need to stop. No, but there has to be a separation. So, and then there's the other side where someone who was in a strict household where your family probably went to church every Sunday, probably four times a week. You was in Sunday, Sunday school, s- Sunday morning church. You had uh, midweek, you have Bible study. Then you have prayer service. You know, even in service. And then some of us who had them parents who were just devoted or or grandparents, you know, then you had to go with them to help clean the church. You know, so you was in church by four or five days a week. It was like a full time job. So now that you done got a little pretty, you say, listen, I'm, I, uh uh-uh. uh, I done did this for too many years. Now, now, it, now it's, it's time for me to do me. Let me do me. But the thing about it is that when you were going through all of that and experiencing that, it was because of the fact you did not understand the reason behind it. I want to give you a scripture 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. It's a very familiar scripture. If you don't know it, you're going to know it today. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. Second Corinthians five and seventeen. If you got it, say I got it. If you don't, say hold on. All right. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. I'm gonna say it again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. As a disciple of Jesus, we have to let go of the past and move forward towards the future. When you come into the true knowledge of who Jesus is for you, not for your neighbor, but for you, there are certain things in the past you just have to let go. I understand. I'm right here with you. It's hard. Why? Because those sometimes can be our safety nets. They can. You know how you ever heard the term, the devil I do know is better than the devil I don't know? because you're so used to what you used to do and that's your place of comfort that it's hard for you to move forward towards the unknown Jesus I don't know what it's like to just solely devote myself to you I don't know what it's like to let go of everything and put everything that I have in you I don't know because a lot of us have an issue with this one word control we like to control we like to see where we're going and if we can't see it then we're like "Ah, no no thank you that's how some of us date All right, I'm going to let that go right there I ain't even going to touch that real quick because we talking about discipleship. So let me uh, let me stay off that right there. But I don't know why I just popped in. So let that marinate in your spirit for a second. Um, so the second approach. So the first approach is a person who grew up in a household who had different lifestyles. And the second approach is someone who grew up in a house that was very strict, very strict, very strict. And the Bible says whom the sun sets free, regardless of what your approach is, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. I need you to look to somebody on your road, say whom the sun sets free, Son sets free. Is, free is free indeed. And the Bible tells us that we should not use our freedom to indulge. We should not use our freedom to indulge, but to really take the opportunity to grow in Christ, to grow in Christ. Because we need God to protect us. We need God to cover us throughout whatever that we're going through. So listen, If you've made if you've made the decision that I'm going to be a disciple, trust me, God is on your side. God got you. Right. He got you. You don't got to know what the end looked like. He got you. He got you. So the first the first thing that uh, when it comes to our associations is our family. Right. The f- second thing, the second thing of why being a disciple of Jesus Christ is so difficult is because of this right here. Our friends. Our friends, our friends, let's be honest, our friends, our um, friends. You know, if you grew up in the hood like me, I'm from Miami, I'm from Little Haiti, and we always had this thing where it was loyalty. Like, you know, if you had my back, I had your back regardless of the time. You know, people that you used to fight with or whatever the case may be. You know, if you've been, as we use this term for some way, if you've been in the trenches with me, I'm forever with you. If you was with me when I was going through the trenches, I'm loyal to you. Because loyalty is everything. But when it comes to that, uh, we have this thing where we believe that just because someone is part of our des- our history, it gives them a free pass to be part of our destiny. And the reality is that it, it doesn't. It doesn't work that way because God is in control. God is in control. God is in control. So there are three things that I want to give you that your friend should do. Three things that your friend should do. And if you need to write this down, I suggest that you write this down. The first thing that your friends should do is they should push you towards Christ. They should push you towards Christ. Believe it or not, and I'm not talking about you surrounding yourself with people that's like in church 24-7 because that's not realistic. All your friends are not going to be, you know, devoted to the Bible and all That's That's just not realistic. You're gonna be surrounded by all different types of people from all different walks of life, but if a person truly is your friend and see the path that you're taking, they will push you towards Christ. I can't tell you how many times where you know I've wanted to go do something wrong, and these are the non-spiritual people who just like, hey, bro, nah, that ain't you, nah, that ain't you, bro, nah, that's not that's not what God has for you, bro. Who are you talking to? Who are you trying to tell me about Jesus? But the reality is your friends would push you towards Christ. The second thing is friends pray for you in your darkest time, not push you towards your dysfunction. Friends pray for you in your darkest time and not push you towards your dysfunction. I never forget this that I had one time I was going through some some crazy stuff. And of course, hey, bro, want me to pray for you? <laughs> Who is you praying to? <laughs> uh, but the real but the thing about it that the first response was pray. Pray. It's like, now nah, you need to pray. Friends need to pray for you during your darkest time and not push you towards your dysfunction. And number three is your friends support your decision to grow in God. They support you. They support your decision to grow in God. So some of y'all need to pull out your phones and send a mass text <laughs> and say, hey, uh, send it to your friends and say, hey, I'm trying to grow in God. Will you help me? No, I'm not going to tell you to cut people off. Make the statement, I'm trying to grow in God. Will you help me? Because sometimes it's hard to cut off people that you've been around for so long. It's, it, can we be honest? You can't just say, hey, bro, I can't talk to you no. Hey, sis, I can't talk to you no more. It doesn't work that way. That's not realistic. And I'm not even going to front or play with you and tell you that's what you need to do. But you can make a decision to say that I want to grow in God and you can ask your friends to help you, meaning that they would hold you accountable. Right. So I'm going to give you two scriptures that you need to write down and then I'm going to read them. The first one is Proverbs 13 and 20. Proverbs 13 and 20. Proverbs thirteen and twenty. If you gotta say I got it, if you ain't got it, say hold on. All right, I'm holding. Y'all getting something from this? Proverbs 13 and 20. Proverbs 13 and 20. It says, he who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Most people who uh, are deciding to be entrepreneurs or want to be successful in their life, if you listen to um, successful people, they will tell you, you can dictate where your life is going by the five people that you hang around they always say that any successful person any person who is either a multi-millionaire or a billionaire or whatever the case may be or successful in their life they will tell you you will see the direction of your life and where it's going by the five people you hang around the most and if you want to be successful you got to hang around successful people uh, but if you want to stay where you're at then you'll stay with the same circle of people that you've always been and what happens is then it, it's almost like they be tend to sway you you know they did a study and I've said this before they did a study where they got a bunch of uh, fruit, some fresh ripe fruit that are ripe, and they took one rotten fruit in the middle of it, and they said over time, the fruit that was ripe, that was good, ended up spoiling faster than it would normally have because it had one rotten fruit in a bunch, which means that you have to watch your circles. You have to watch your circles. If you're trying to be wise, walk with the wise. You know, be around people that's going to push you. Be around people that's going to elevate you. Be around people that's not just going to allow you to stay in your dysfunction. You know? Be around people that's going to push you. There's so many gifted and talented people, even in this building, that we come across. But the problem is you've allowed your circle to stifle you. It's almost like seeds that are around a bunch of thorns. Like it's just they just choke you. And sometimes we don't see it. And here's the reality. We get mad when other people try to tell us about it. We do. We get mad. And hey, you know you probably need to change your circle. Who are you talking to? You think you better... No, I see something greater in you that I'm just trying to bring out. And that's the reality of it. The second scripture, second scripture, second scripture is John 15 and 13. John 15 and 13. Turn to John 15 and 13 in the New Testament, right after Luke. Is it, Hold on, Mark. Yeah, right after Luke. Sometimes, y'all don't do that sometimes? You got to count on your hands? No. I do that. It's just me. John 15, verse number 13. John 15 and 13, it says greater love has no one than this. Then he laid down his life for his friends. And, you know, the reality of this is it, it spoke to me when it comes to when it came to laying down his life. And a lot of times we think that you know, somebody oh, somebody gotta die for me in order for them to show. No, it doesn't have to necessarily be that. It could be where people make sacrifices for you. You know, you have. I always say this: where there is no sacrifice, there's no love. I'm gonna say that again. Married people, you know what I'm talking about. Where there is no sacrifice, there is no love. So be careful for using the term friend when you have people that will not sacrifice for you check your associations because i always say any relationship is tested when a sacrifice is involved any relationship if there's no sacrifice i'm sorry it ain't real jesus sacrificed his what his life where there is no sacrifice there's no love where there's no sacrifice there's no real relationship you know it's just like when you're you know when you're in high school and you know Said some kids in here. Dang, can't go there. Okay, so where there is no sacrifice, <laughs> there is no love. I forgot the chairman was in here, man. I forgot. Forgive me. But John fifteen says thirteen says, They're greater in low love than this than he that laid down his life for our friends. So we have to make sure that our friends are not stifling us or stopping us from really growing and being a disciple of Jesus Christ. However you take that, it's on you. However you need to make adjustments within your friendship circles, it is what it is. I'm not telling you, I'm not saying that you're going to be perfect, because Lord knows I'm not perfect. You know, I can't try to tell you that, hey, I got, no, I don't have it all together. I still got some friends that will knock if you buck. I still got, I'm I'm being honest. I'm just being honest. But the first step to being better is you have to be real and you got to be honest with yourself that's the first step to growth is you got to be real and honest with yourself to evaluate where you're at in your walk with jesus you know i'm up here only by the grace of god i'm not qualified i didn't i don't deserve to be up here i should be locked up or dead but i thank god for his saving grace thank god for his mercy i thank god for his redeeming power i thank god for his healing power Because sometimes healing has nothing, I'm going to say nothing, sometimes it's not simply associated to a physical pain, but some emotional pains. There's some emotional scarrings that we have in us that is stopping us from really growing in God, whether it be unforgiveness, whether it be abandonment, whether it just be a certain mindset that's just so negative and pessimistic that stops you from really growing in God because God says that I've come to give you a life and a life that's more abundantly but if you have certain mindsets that you really you can't really get there that's why I thank God for his healing power so first one is your family second is your friends and third one is your foes which is your enemies now I thought you had shot over that one but um whatever uh, <laughs> your foes your foes your foes sometimes you feel like you're under attack Which brings us to the mindset that we need to repay evil with evil. God says that as my disciple, you have to be the light and darkness. And here's what I don't like. I'm going to be honest. I don't like that God uses my foes to build my faith. Be honest. I don't like that God uses my foes to build my faith. But the reality is he's going to do it. He's going to do it. He's going to use your foes to build up your faith because it was your enemy who taught you how to pray. If you didn't have enemies, you would have never known how to pray the way that you pray. It was because of your enemies on your job sometimes that taught you how to turn down your plate and fast. Because you had to make a decision (laughs) where if you knock, if you buck or promotion. Can we just be honest? Can we just be honest? And those are the things that God will use to build up your faith. I'm going to give you a scripture, and I pray that this scripture blesses you like it bless me. Psalms 138, verse 7. Psalms 138, verse 7. Psalms 138, verse 7. Psalms 138, verse 7. If you got it, say, I got it hold on. Hold on. I tell myself to hold on. Psalms 138 and verse number seven. If you got to say, I got it. It says, though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes with your right hand. You save me. How will you know that he'll save you unless you got foes coming after you? How do you know that he'll protect you unless you got something or someone coming against you? And this is my favorite. This this, this scripture right here blesses me. Psalms 23 and verse number five. Psalms 23 and verse number five. For some of us, we know Psalms have We've we've quoted that scripture so many times. Well, probably verse number one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. (laughs) We don't go to the rest, uh, but you got to read the whole Psalms. Got to read the whole Psalms. Psalms 23 and verse number five. Psalms 23 and verse number five. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. He can't prepare a table if there's no enemies. He can't prepare a table. I've learned this. I no longer say, God, why me? I say, God, what's the lesson in this? Because God has a way that he will, he will use your enemies to build up your faith. And the reality is sometimes we take too personal the things that happen to us, not realizing that it's still God working in the midst. Because Romans 8 and 28 say, for all things are working for your good, according to Exactly. All things are working for your good. All things are working for your good. And I um, I recently, I went to um, a conference in uh, D.C. and I got a chance to hear Oprah speak. And she gave, she gave a testimony about how she became who she was. And I had never known her story of how she was trying so hard, but it seemed as if something was just not happening on her job. It seemed like people was hating on her, especially her, her manager to where to the point where they demoted her she was an anchor had no clue she was an anchor and she got demoted to being a host did you catch that she was an anchor and got demoted to being a host and sometimes God will use a demotion to prepare you for your promotion and that was all she wrote so sometimes when you have enemies coming against you Don't take it so personal. Understand that God is still in control. Listen, you are God's. Nothing and nobody can't happen or nothing can't happen to you unless God allows it. Come on, Job. Nothing will happen to you unless God allows it. So understand that he is in control. And here's the reality. We can have so much control over our lives that we lose sight. We lose sight we become our own little gods of our own life not realizing that God is still in control so when it comes to our associations of why it's so hard to be a disciple of Jesus Christ the first one is society the second one is our associations and I'm going to close on this one and the third one is ourselves ourselves Uh, sometimes the enemy is not really the enemy Sometimes the enemy is the inner me. It's not the enemy. Devil made me do it. Devil, I ain't got nothing to do with that. Sometimes it's the inner me that causes us. And here's one of the main statements that we've heard or we've probably said is that we don't think we're qualified. We don't think we're qualified to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because we look at, you know, pastors, we look at worship leaders, we look at um, evangelists and think that they walk with Jesus every day. Who? Who? The only difference is someone said yes. That's the only difference. Someone decided to say yes. It's like it's just like when you go to a grocery store and you know you're trying to eat right and you walk in a bread aisle and then after the bread is the snacks. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You got the bread and then you get to all the Debbie cakes and, you know, you know, raisin cream pies, the strawberry Swiss rolls, the, you know, and you got a decision to make. Do I have a decision? And life is literally based on nothing but decisions. Am I going to grab that little Debbie cake, throw it in a basket, or am I going to walk around? See, I've been in a grocery store too long, and go to the sauces aisle, and make sure that I get some healthy, you know, some some vegetable pasta, you know, and stuff to make a healthy meal. Now, reality is, now I'm You can't stay in that aisle too long. Catch the revelation, because sometimes if you stand something too long, you will fall. You will fall. The Bible says, "Flee, run." Push that cart fast. (laughs) Because the reality, we're not that strong. We ain't that strong. There are certain things that we're just not that strong. We need to run from it. So for all those who's trying to eat right, please, don't even go in the Debbie Cake aisle. (laughs) Don't even go in that aisle. But the reality is we think that sometimes we're not qualified. So I want to give you a scripture. I want to give you a scripture. Uh, First Corinthians chapter 1. Verse number 27 through 29. First Corinthians chapter 1 verse 27 through 29. First Corinthians chapter 1 verse number 27 through 29. First Corinthians chapter 1 verse 27 through 29. If you got it, say I got it. If you don't say hold on. right, I'm holding. First Corinthians chapter one, verse number twenty-seven and twenty-nine. It says, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. Now, how many of us can say we've done some foolish things? Some foolish things. If you don't look back on what you dated, we've done some foolish things. We're going to continue. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. Hold on. Did you did you read that? It says base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. So don't ever let anybody tell you you can't be used by God. And the things which are not to bring to nothing, the things that are and that no flesh should glory in his presence. I have one statement for you. God didn't call the qualified. He qualified the call. Before you let anybody ever tell you that you can't be used by God, I'm here to tell you God can use anybody he wants for his glory, for his pleasure. And if you don't believe me, I'm going to give you just a few people in the Bible that God used. Noah was a drunkard. Man had a drinking problem. But God used him to build one of the greatest arcs ever built. And his name is still written in the history books. Abraham was an old man. God made him the father of many nations. Moses was a stutterer. Now, for someone to be a stutter, like, it's very difficult to follow somebody who stutters. That is a, that is a, and I had a brother who stuttered really, really, really bad. And you, and sometimes you get frustrated because you're trying to, like, you're like, get it out, you know. But for God to use somebody like that to lead A whole nation of people out. Rahab was a prostitute. Hold up. What? Rahab was a prostitute. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Come on, Bathsheba. He was an adulterer and a murderer. Jonah ran from God. I'm talking about that boy. Usain Bolt from God. God said, not today. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I don't want to end up in the belly of a fish. Okay? I can't even swim. So, no. Matthew was a tax collector. See, y'all know. Tax collectors were not the most respected people because they had a tendency to stick their hand in a cookie jar one too many times for their own personal benefit. And for some of you saying, I'm too young, I need to live my life. The little boy who had the two fish and the five loaves. God could use the little that you have to do something great and mighty. And I'm going to give you this one, Saul. Saul was the chiefest of them all. I mean, he persecuted and killed Christians for sport, fed them to lions, had them go against each other. And God used him to be one of the biggest influences of the Bible. So don't ever let anybody tell you that you can't be used by God and that you can't be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I don't care what walk of life you have. If he calls you, he will equip you. If he calls you, he will equip you. There's so much talent. There's so much gifting in this room that God wants to use. But you have to make the decision to say, I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ because you are his workmanship. When Jesus died on a cross, he had you in mind. Think about that. Every lashing, every spit, every beating, everything he took, he took, he had you in mind when he did it. So he's calling you to be a disciple. He's calling you to be a disciple. He's calling you to be. Look all down your roll. Look down your row. Tell everybody on your roll. He's calling you to be a disciple. Were you blessed by this? Come on, give God some praise in this place. <laughs> it's 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 one of those things, man, where it's it, it's it's a decision. It literally boils down to just nothing but a decision. It's a decision that you have to make. Somebody calls your phone, you haven't you have a choice to answer it or not. Somebody does something to you. You know how you, you ever heard this term or statement somebody say, "Oh, they made me do it." Nobody can't force you to do something that you don't want to do.